0: Um, We're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 3 tonight, as I mentioned earlier, and it is the entirety of chapter 3, so uh, I hope you don't mind my voice too much because uh, you'll hear a little bit of it for uh, a little bit more here. Um, So open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3, if you have them, and this is the word of God. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects and the governors, the counsellors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects and the governors, the counsellors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up and the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations and languages that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, "'O king, live forever!' Pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And I'll invite Andrew to come up and speak to us from that passage now. Thanks, Andrew.
1: Good evening to you, it's, uh, it's good to uh, be with you uh, tonight, uh, thanks to Philip for the, the warm welcome uh, in this college Sunday, I believe you had uh, David Luke uh, with you this morning, so I hope you thoroughly enjoyed what David uh, shared with you, and thanks to Chris for, for leading the, the service, and, and thanks to him for, for doing that quite lengthy uh, Bible reading as well, I was quite, quite glad when he agreed uh, to do that, um, just so you're not uh, listening to my voice for, for too long. But yeah, we're in, we're in Daniel uh, chapter 3 tonight, uh, so hopefully you still have that open in front of you. And I'm just going to pray very briefly before we uh, get into uh, the passage uh, this evening. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, again, I just want to simply ask, Lord, now as we come to your Word, as we come to consider these truths, Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, that we would see and we would hear from you, Lord tonight. Lord, again, we don't need to hear from from any man. We don't need to hear man's opinion, but we need to hear the very truth of God. So Lord, we pray that you would speak tonight, and you be honored and your Son glorified. For us in his name, we pray. Amen. Well, if you've had the, the privilege of being Brought up in a Christian home, we heard how Chris had that privilege of being brought up in a Christian home. I had that privilege as well. And then, no doubt, you were sent faithfully to to Sunday school, week in, week out, and maybe even brought to church, week in, week out. And if that's the case, I have no doubt that this passage in Daniel three is one that is very familiar to you. It's one of those passages that, it's one of those Bible stories that we that we love to tell, that we love to share with our kids, or you love to share with your grandkids if you have them, because it's such an amazing story. You could say it's the most well-known account in this book of Daniel, alongside the account, of course, of Daniel himself in the lion's den. But sometimes these familiar passages, there's a real danger that we can read them and forget that these are real, factual events which took place in times past, which God in his grace has preserved for us today. And this is no doubt one of the most compelling and challenging stories for us as Christians in all of Scripture, because in it we have the, the account of these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were so unwilling to compromise their faith, even if it meant losing their lives in the most horrendous way we could think of. Back in 2018, before I left my job and and started college, I made the trip out to China uh, for a couple of weeks uh, to visit some family there. But while I was there, I have to say, I had my eyes opened to some of the modern day realities. Realities that, to be honest, are completely alien to us. Here in the West, something that really struck me while I was there was a story that I was told about a Chinese pastor who was the pastor of one of the the, the local Chinese churches. So that's the, the state churches, which basically um, they they say what uh, what you can and can't say. Really, they control the what the what the church uh, presents. Uh, this pastor, well he was a very sound, evangelical Christian, who no doubt had the conviction that he was to preach the whole counsel of God, not just some radio-friendly soundbites to his congregation. As a result, the authorities, they didn't take too kindly to this, and that pastor just mysteriously vanished, taken away from his wife, from his family, from his church, And it's fair to say that he wasn't going to be receiving any five-star treatment wherever he was taken to. In fact, the small snippets of information that his family were able to come across is that he was experiencing great difficulty and hardship. It's a bit of speculation at this point, because I don't know for sure, but I wonder, was he given the opportunity or given the option to compromise his faith? Maybe... Maybe they said to him, look, we will let you go home. We will let you go back to your family. We will let, let you go back to your church if you just do what we tell you to do, if you just say what we tell you to say. But to my knowledge, he still isn't back with his family and he still isn't back with his church. This is just one of many examples of similar things that are happening today not years ago, but in this present day in that country. Well, in this account in Daniel 3, it's this type of resilience and uncompromising faith which is evident for us, as these three Jewish men are so sold out for God that they are willing to give their very lives in order to be faithful to him, trusting that he is sovereign over the affairs of their lives. Well, this story, as we read together, it's a, it's a long narrative, so you can breathe a sigh of relief that we will not be going through it verse by verse tonight, but more like section by section. So i have broke it up into three sections, or three scenes. Uh, firstly, we see the idol, then we see the accusation, and then finally the furnace. So that's the, the, the idol, the accusation, and the furnace. Verses 1 to 7 present us with with this idol, with this golden image, which in case you didn't notice as we read together or or as Chris read to us, is an image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. If you cast your eyes back to the, the opening verses in that chapter. In fact, we see the writer repeatedly and very obviously emphasizing that point to us over and over again in these verses. Emphasizing that this was the image that King Nebuchadnezzar it's set up. I guess in those days, if something uh, that, that the writer wanted to emphasize, it was done by way of repetition, whereas today we would maybe underline something or we would highlight something. But the writer repeats this to make us very aware that this is the case. But this image, first one reveals to us, was made of gold. Its height was 60 cubits, its breadth six cubits, and it was set up in the plain of Jura. For all the sea, the plain of Jura and Babylon. So, this was a large, expansive statue that was positioned in a place where everybody could see it and everybody could marvel at it. The statue was 60 cubits high, or in measurements that are more understandable for us, it's 90 feet high. If you aren't very good with measurements, let's just say it was a really, really tall statue. You could have seen this monstrosity of of a thing for miles away where they had it positioned. And we don't know what the statue was of for sure. It may have been of some god or another that Nebuchadnezzar had taken a liking to. But I would say most probably this statue was of Nebuchadnezzar himself. After all, when we think about it, this man is so filled with pride and self-importance that it isn't beyond the realms of possibility that this statue that he set up was actually of himself. Nebuchadnezzar had obviously time to to think from he received Daniel's interpretation back in chapter 2. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed of this this great image with a, a head of gold, a chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs made of bronze, and its legs and feet made of iron and clay. Daniel's interpretation revealed that Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom was the head of gold and all the other parts of the statue represented other kingdoms. Well, having time to think, seemingly he came to the conclusion that the head of gold wasn't enough for him. It had to be the whole image made of gold. We don't know exactly how much time passed between chapter 2 and chapter 3, but it was seemingly enough time for Nebuchadnezzar to have a change of heart. At the end of chapter 2 he praised Daniel and paid homage to him and he made him ruler over Babylon after being able to give him this interpretation. He said to Daniel in verse 47 of chapter 2, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings, and revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. It really seems at this point that Nebuchadnezzar has had a change of heart, that, that he's been converted, if you like. When you listen to that confession, your God is God of, God, God of gods and Lord of kings. What a statement to make. But the reality is Nebuchadnezzar was simply infatuated with the miracles, with the signs that Daniel's God was able to do something which no one else could do. But the reality is there was no change of heart there. He had no interest or desire to place his faith and trust in this God simply on the basis of who he was. But rather it was what this God could do for him. That was the attraction. Not not that this was a holy God who commands worship and reverence. People trusted God in those times on the basis of what he could do. And it was the same in Jesus' time and it's the same in our time today. The closing verses of John chapter one, sorry, John chapter two tells us, now when he, that's Jesus, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. See, the reality is God knows the heart of man. He knows if someone is simply trusting in him on the basis of what God can do for him. Like some sort of magic genie who gives you what you want on request. And I think it's a reminder and it's a challenge for us today even to search our own hearts and our own motives. If there's a self-centeredness within us that's more interested in what God can do for us. Are we trusting in God simply because of who he is? The one who created us, the one who sustains us, the one who has redeemed us in Christ, the only one who is worthy of our worship and our adoration, because he alone is God. Nebuchadnezzar failed to grasp this because it was obvious that he was his own God. He considered himself to be his own God. The unveiling of this great image is fair to say it was no low-key event we read several times in these verses that Nebuchadnezzar, he called for the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the councilors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and the officials of the province to come to this grand dedication. So basically every man and his dog had to be there. He even had the very best band to come and play at this grand unveiling. We read in verses 4 and 5, And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, dragon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. This wasn't a take it or leave it kind of a deal. In other words, you can bow down if you want to. But just in case anybody was in any confusion, Nebuchadnezzar gave them an incentive to follow these instructions. Verse 6 goes on to say, And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Needless to say, the people, not fancying the alternative, they fell down before this image on command and worshipped with the exception of three men. Which brings us on to our next point this evening, the the accusation in verses 8 to 18. Here in these verses, we learn of these men, these Chaldeans, who brought this accusation to the attention of King Nebuchadnezzar. You kind of get the impression right from the offset that there's absolutely nothing likable about these guys. Look at how they approach the king. They approach him, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree. When I read this, it kind of reminds me of that, that kid at school who always told on you for every little thing just to simply try and get you into trouble. I'm sure you can remember someone like that from your childhood, or maybe you were that kid as a child. But the trouble was facing these men for not doing what they should, it was going to be much more serious than a slap on the hand or being put in detention For an afternoon. We read of this accusation in verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Perhaps these guys, these Chaldeans, were jealous of this position of authority that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been given. And they've seen an opportunity to, to get one over on them. After Nebuchadnezzar had made Daniel ruler over Babylon, we, we, we see in the last verse in chapter 2, verse 49, that Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. So it's very possible that these guys were simply filled with jealousy and hatred and they seen an opportunity that was presented to them. And they took it. But we go on to read that Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't receive this news very well. Verse 13 tells us that in a furious rage, he commanded that these men be brought to him. You can maybe imagine that or picture that scene in your mind as these three guys are are dragged before this prideful king who is so full of pride that it nearly comes across that he's in actual disbelief that anybody would dare to disobey him. Look at verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar says, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? In other words, surely there has been some mistake. Did you mishear the command that I give you? Or did you not fully understand what you were supposed to do? So I'll make it clear one more time. Verse 15, now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? There's another statement. The question begs to be asked at this point. What would you have done? And what would I have done? Would we have bowed to the image? After all, the king wasn't asking them to renounce their faith, he wasn't asking them to stop worshipping God. He wasn't saying that he couldn't do that. And besides that, in your own mind, you would know that this was just a stupid, lifeless image made of gold. So bowing down to it obviously wouldn't have meant that you were worshipping it. It's just a big lump of lifeless gold. Maybe the reasoning would be that, well, we just fall down for a few seconds and then get up and get on with life. After all, what good are we to God? If we're dead, surely God would rather us stay alive so that we could be useful to him. You see, it's very easy to try and rationalize things in our minds. It's unlikely that we're going to have to face the the literal threat of a fiery furnace. But what about them things that we are presented with? In our lives, it could be trying to rationalize something in our heads which we know to be wrong. That could be doing something which we shouldn't do. That could be not doing something which we should do. Maybe it's not being completely honest with our finances, thinking that it's not a big deal, it's only a small amount of money on the grand scale of things. Maybe it could be that relationship dating someone who isn't a Christian with the mindset that, well, they'll see my faith and I'll have an influence on them. Maybe it could even be that partner who is a Christian and trying to rationalize in your mind how how intimate you can be with them when you're not yet married. Maybe thinking, well, we're going to get married anyway, so what difference does it make? Well, the difference is in all these things is that God says no. He says that's not the way my people are to live. That's not the way I say things are to be done. See, when we try to rationalize things in our minds, it gives the enemy a foothold to cast doubts into our minds. Did God really say that? Or is that what God really meant? We only have to think back to the opening chapters of our Bibles to see the enemy using that similar tactic. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they replied very respectfully, but very quickly and clearly. They said, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and He will Deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What a response considering the the fate that awaited these men. You see, here's three men who took God's word seriously. God said in Acts 20, I am the Lord your God And these three men believed it. I wonder this evening, do we hold God's word in such a high regard, realizing that when God says something, he means it. It's there for a purpose. And the thing is, when we obey God's word faithfully, we will receive opposition to it. With the laws that are being passed in our land today, our our medical staff and our school teachers, for example, are really going to have their faith tried and tested. And as Christians, we need to be praying for them. Because the reality is that it's not going to be easy. It certainly wasn't easy for these three men, the consequences that, that awaited them. Which brings us on to our final point, the furnace in verses 19 to 30. Now, if this were a movie, this would be one of those cliffhanger moments. Or if it was a TV series, it would be the point when the credits start to roll, leaving you on the edge of your seat, waiting to see what would happen next time. I'm not a big reader overly, to be honest, but I find reading this just compelling, nearly to the point where I wish that I had never read it before. So just when I read through it, that I'd be reading it for the first time and finding out what would happen. Well, again, we're given an image here that we can imagine. Nebuchadnezzar's facial expression was changing as he was filled with fury. So angry was he that he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than normal. Like that was going to teach them a lesson. Absolutely ridiculous when you think about it. What was heating the furnace up seven times hotter going to achieve? It was simply going to make them perish all the quicker and make the miracle all the more spectacular. So hot it was that these mighty men that led Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up to the furnace, they perished with the intensity of the heat. So imagine how his facial expression would have changed Once again, as he looked into the furnace and seen them walking around unharmed. Not just three of them, but four. This fourth figure, eh, we're told, had appearance eh, like a son of the gods, or in other words, he was godlike. I don't know whether you believe this to be an angel that that God sent or the the pre-incarnate Christ himself. Um, I don't really want to try and sway your decision either Either road or that. You probably uh, have your own take on it. But personally, I believe that uh, I've always taken it to be uh, an appearance of Christ himself. And, and I still I believe that to be the case. But whatever you may think about it, I think the most important thing for us to notice here is that God showed up. And he showed up in a spectacular way. The passage in Isaiah 43 comes very much to mind at this point. Chapter or Verse 2, sorry. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Well, here we have these three men experiencing firsthand in a very real way this reality. We're told in verse 27, the hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. It's hard not to get excited as we read these these verses, how great this miracle was. I remember whenever I was a, a kid, you know, any time my dad would have been lighting a fire in the field, I would have always been out and stuck in the middle of it not literally in the middle of it, but round the outside of it, throwing throwing things in and just uh, just messing. I don't know what it is about young boys and fires, but it's like a it's like a moth to a flame. We just can't stay away. But I remember after coming away from the the fire, even later on that day, and even the next day, you would still have been been stinking of, of the smoke, of the fire. Well, here we're told that these men didn't even have the smell of smoke on their clothes completely unharmed Peter no doubt had this account of mine as he writes in his first letter chapter 4 verse 12 he says beloved do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you see Peter knew the reality that living the Christian life striving to be faithful to God was inevitably going to bring about suffering and the thing is, no one likes to suffer. We do our best to avoid it. But the truth is, if we're living in obedience to Christ, it will come. It may appear in different ways, very different from this literal, fiery trial that awaited these men. But it will come. But how encouraging is it for us, though, that this same God who was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the same God who is with us, today. The God who promises that he will never leave us. That as we pass through the waters he will be there. As we pass through the rivers they will not overwhelm us. As we walk through the fire we will not be burned. We will not be consumed. Does that mean that we can't uh, suffer physically? Well of course we can. But spiritually we are safe and secure in Christ, that through faith in and, and Christ and Christ alone, and what He has accomplished for us on the cross, we are eternally secure. That there is nothing and no one can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And the truth is, we have ultimately been rescued from the fiery furnace of hell, where each of us were heading in our sin before God stepped in and intervened. You see, this account in Daniel 3 is yet another episode in a running theme throughout Scripture pointing to this God who is able to deliver. Because this God is sovereign over the affairs of our lives in complete control. And ultimately, it points us ahead to that ultimate deliverance Which we are all in need of, to be rescued and delivered from our sin. And that's exactly what God has done for us in Christ. You see, we were helpless to save ourselves. And when we were helpless, He sent Jesus in order to rescue us and to deliver us from that judgment that awaited us in our sin. Christ died in our place, paying the price for our sin and rising victoriously three days later, defeating sin, defeating death, and defeating the devil, that through faith in him and in him alone, we can be saved. We can be delivered. Can I ask you and challenge you this evening as we come to a close, if you aren't a Christian, who is it or what is it that you're trusting in to save you? Are you trusting in anything or anyone else other than this God that we read of in these scriptures? These scriptures that, which reveal to us that it's only through faith in Jesus Christ alone that we can be forgiven and saved from our biggest problem, our sin. Can I ask you and, and plead with you this evening if you don't know the Lord to come to him this very night to acknowledge your sin before him and to seek the forgiveness that's only found in Jesus Christ and trust in him alone to save you. As Christians, when tests and trials come our way, when temptations to compromise our faith come our way, which they will, may we remember these truths that our God is powerful, that our God is the one who is able to deliver us, who is able to save us. And ultimately, he is the one who has promised that he will never leave us and will bring us home to be with him. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel your saviour an uncompromising faith in the sovereign God may God's word be a blessing to us tonight an encouragement and a challenge let's just pray together before we uh, sing our, our closing hymn for the night Father thank you that we come before a living God tonight Lord you're a God who is able to deliver Because, Lord, you're the only one true and living God. Father, we ask you, Lord, tonight for strength. Lord, to stand firm in our faith. Lord, when these trials come our way, when temptations to compromise come our way, Lord, will we look to you? Will we remember, Lord, that you are the one who is with us? You are the one who will never leave us. Lord, will you help us to be faithful to you? Because Lord, you are a faithful God. Lord, you are sovereign over our lives. Lord, we give you thanks for who you are tonight. Father, I just want to pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this gathering tonight who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior, Lord, that you would speak to them. Lord, that they would see their need to come to him in repentance and in faith. Lord, we ask these things tonight. And thank you for being with us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.